passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, October 30th, 2021. Uh, and today, we, uh, we can announce that the, the investigation has concluded. Gullo's camp is saying that uh, some of his dog's teeth uh, are loose. He, he's had many, many surgeries that he's had to uh, put his dog through uh, that were very expensive. Um, Gullo says he was just uh, protecting himself under podcast doctrine law uh, against uh, Jesse's advances. Uh, but the investigation, actually, the invest- we're not even confirming that an investigation is even taking place or that anything actually happened. Um, but in any event, I've heard that uh, Jesse has been suspended from cage match. Oh, no, that, that's, been, that's been rectified. That's been rectified? Yeah. What happened? Um... I don't. I don't really want. To, it's. It's not like a major deal. I don't really want to talk about it on air. You, cool. you. You don't. You, you don't want to admit that you're an AW freakazoid and you're overrating AW oh. matches. That is. That is not what happened. I got caught. I. I got by the words of Cage Match. I got caught up in the crossfire of something larger that was going on. Okay. So uh, my, I have not. My suspended has been. My suspension has been revoked. Have we co-opted Cage Match now? Just just by by having Philip Krakenbaum on on the podcast, and now we have a special we have special privileges with Cage Match. Is that what's happening here? I'm not going to lie and say that that didn't help rectify the situation because it absolutely <laughs> did. Yes. Okay, but I can't comment anymore. I respect you for asking that question, Brandon, but I cannot comment anymore. You can't comment anymore. Fair, fair, fair enough. I have to ask as a journalist, though. Um, Okay, I don't know what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I have I have some some slides that we'll go through. It is not Thursday is the earnings call for WWE, but Wednesday they changed it. They moved it around by half a day. Um, it was going to be Thursday afternoon, but they changed it to Wednesday morning. Um, John Pollock is very upset about this. Uh, because he doesn't like it when it's, when it's that late in the day. In any case, we're going to do a talk. John and I will do a talk on Thursday that will be on the post network and the audio will also be in your normal WrestleNomics radio feed. So, uh, mass distribution for, for the post post wrestling slash WrestleNomics talk on, on the WQ3 earnings call. Um, uh, but, but, but first, I guess, uh, Green Bay Packers, Buffalo Bills, later tonight. Yep. Chris Gull, live, live correspondent in attendance. Yep, for Halloween Eve game, Sunday Night Football. It's going to be uh, pretty exciting. I'm going as the ultimate heel, an NFL referee. So Green Bay Packers on a three-game losing streak. Yep. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think he has done his research for this game. I think he is prepared, uh, but, but he's going against Josh Allen. 
who is uh, running a lot, hurtling a lot. And uh, I, I don't know if anything can really stop the Buffalo Bills right now. Yeah. Bill's, Bill's victory tonight Bill. for sure. Well, they're 11 and a half point favorites, which might be a record for how Aaron Rodgers' career as being like the, the biggest underdog he's been as far as from a point spread standpoint. Uh, do the Patriots play today? Patriots play against the New York Jets at 1 p.m. Oh, the the, the Jets are looking pretty good, right? Bills this is Jets. this is a game. I said this on the NFL Intelligentsia on Wednesday, but this is a game Jets fans have been looking forward to for about 20 years. 20 years. Their, cha- their chance to finally just evaporate the Patriots in the game. Have, have the Jets not beaten the Patriots in years and years? They have, and including a playoff game, a playoff win about 10 years ago, but. Um, by and large, the the story has been the Patriots have beaten up the Jets for the past twenty years. Ever since Bill Belichick resigned from coaching the Jets and became the Patriots coach, and and the, the Patriots do have a starting quarterback. Do they have one starting quarterback? Do they have two starting quarterbacks, one and one A, or what? What's what? What exactly is is the uh, what do you what do you call it, the depth chart? I'm not sure what they're going to do today. I know Mac Jones is going to start the game, but mm-hmm. if he doesn't look too good, I think Bailey Zappi could come back in. Okay, start Lots Zappi. They should start Zappy uh, for the Patriots talk, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, if the Jets beat the uh, Patriots, it'd be like when the Bills uh, beat the Patriots for that playoff game. Uh, yeah, the Bills have already gotten their revenge. Yeah, on the Patriots, the Dolphins have beaten the Patriots regularly over the last few years. It's the Jets who are who are the ones who are, are last in line, waiting to to bury the knife six inches deep into the Patriots. And it's Bills Jets next Sunday. So, is it? Yeah. Is that at home, at home for the Bills or away? No, that's away. That's away. Presumably, if the Jets win this game, they could beat the Jets. Uh, if they beat the Bills next week, they'd be in first place, which would be a truly stunning development for, I think, everyone in the AFC East. Yes. Okay. If you, if you want to ask questions and have us talk about something other than NFL, uh, you can send in a super chat uh, at your leisure uh, if, you're, if you're watching live. Um, so... This is my EPS. This is my earnings per share ratio estimate. 28 cents, which is way lower than, than the consensus. And the rest of the analysts, they think it's going to be 49 cents. 49 cents earnings per share. I think it's going to be 28. I can't figure out how they're getting to 49. I, to, to be clear, I don't really have their, their big reports. We, we're still saving up for a Bloomberg terminal here at WrestleNomics, so I'm not sure exactly what their, what their models are, t- are telling them. Um, can anyone tell me what an earnings per share ratio is? I assume it's how much uh, each share is basically worth. No, not each well, share is basically worth, but how much, how much earning power each individual share has. It's, it's basically profitability divided by the number of shares that there are. Uh, for some reason, that this is how things are are measured on the stock market. It's it, it's an impression of p- profitability adjusted for the dilution of the stock. Is my understanding. Think about it as, as an impression of profitability, though. Uh, revenue. I'm expecting almost three hundred million dollars in revenue. Two hundred ninety four million dollars in revenue for Q three. Again, we're talking only about Q three, which is the period of uh, July first to September thirtieth. So that, as always, they report about one month after the period has ended. Consensus is a little bit lower by 10 million, 284. I'm at 209, it's higher revenue. I'm higher on the, the top line revenue. Uh, and they're a little bit higher on profitability. I am considering that in Q3, we always get this um, incentives, production incentives or something like that that they got, like they got last year. I'm, I am counting like 8 million for that. So I am, I'm taking that into consideration. Um, 
I, I, I don't know that, that I expect this to be an especially eventful um, earnings call. I do expect lots of talk, though, about Easter eggs. I, I, I almost wonder, too, if the re- part of the reason for changing the date, which they did say had to do with the, the Saudi Arabia event, which is happening this coming, I believe, Saturday. They did say that the Saudi Arabia event was part of the reason or the reason why they, they moved the date of the earnings call. I, I wonder if they decided that they were going to have more involvement from Paul Levesque than they originally planned when they first announced the date. In any case, I do expect them to participate based on that. That'd be my guess. And I expect lots of talk about Easter eggs and some talk about Bray Wyatt as it relates to those Easter eggs. And, and I know that's something that he's been saying to uh, to other people. And he has said, said publicly as well about how WWE is engaging with their fans through Easter eggs and, you know, all, all these things that they did with Bray Wyatt and the QR codes. Do you think of that nature. with the Easter eggs and the barcodes and kind of the, the analysts – analysis of videos and things like that that are being shown do you think part of the motivation to include a lot of those is to also help with things like social media impressions and engagement with different wwe platforms through social media what what could be more important than social media absolutely but seriously yes yeah definitely i saw um i want to say it was the twitter account wrestle ops they had tweeted something, and I don't know where they got this figure. I don't know if it had been reported somewhere else or WWE had released it publicly. But they, they said just that counted it up themselves. But yeah, well, they said that the um, the Roman Reigns USO Sami Zayn segment from SmackDown on Friday had achieved over 12 million impressions on social media across all platforms. So I assume that figure has to come from WWE. But I thought it was interesting that it was being presented on a on a, on a third party site as as a as a as a statistic and and what what does the impressions mean um i thought it was interesting i don't know if there were wwe is releasing that information privately or publicly to different outlets but i thought it was notable that it was kind of being talked about on social media yeah i've I've got it at 1.3 million this is as of 10 a.m today which is you know well above anything else in SmackDown. I was doing some stuff on Python this morning that I didn't complete to try to compare it to the trajectory of other YouTube videos this year, but mm-hmm. did, didn't quite get to it. But this is this is pretty strong. I mean, and anything over a million is exceptional, and it being over a million, we're about about thirty six hours in, is pretty good. I wouldn't call this like extreme and. To- I mean, usually we get one usually one or so clip a week per, per raw and smackdown that hits a million but this is on the on the higher end sure um is it notable that it's very much it's it's almost double the it's more than uh it's about double I, the the views yeah, of that the happens next though. year's one next double the views of the bray wyatt video on the same show right right proof bray wyatt's not a draw no i just think it's an i just think it's interesting yeah um and anything else to expect from this earnings call? Um, not, not that I can really think of. We'll, we'll see what I happens. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how, if there are questions fielded about Vince McMahon, if there are questions there about the investigation. <laughs> there investigation won't be. And even if there's not, how, how, there how it be, is this? There won't be. Is this the first earnings call without Vince McMahon or did they do the Q2 one without him? The last one they had, that, that was in August. So yes, this yeah. will be the second one. There was one question kind of about Vince. Brandon Ross from Lightshed asked something that in a roundabout way was about, well, are you going to sell the company because Vince is gone now? Or or do you still see this as a family company that you want to keep indefinitely? And Stephanie, in, in my reading, gave a non-answer. 
that was the closest we got to anything related to Vince. I'm uh, I'm interested to see what Nick Khan's going to talk about. Sometimes he kind of breaks a little news. Sometimes, you know, he discusses recent TV rights deal, which I don't think there's really been a big sports uh, media rights deal in the last few months. But uh, I'm interested to so see. Waiting on Big Ten, right? Uh, no, no, the Big Ten got that big, big deal. Ten We're waiting on, waiting on the Pac-12, Pac-12. which their conference is in limbo right now. Uh, I'm very in- intrigued to see if he'll talk about next day air rights at all because he's brought it up before, and now we're in that limbo period where Hulu keeps, you know, keeping the content up, says it expires, but takes the expiration tag off, then puts the expiration tag on again. And All the extra, expiration tags are gone as of last I looked. I, I can look right now, too. But I don't think he'll bring it up himself. Maybe someone will ask, someone will ask again. Someone asked last time. Eric Handler asked. Um, I don't think we're going to learn anything, probably. Yeah. I don't know. We could... But- we could. It will be somewhat interesting. It's just we're now reviewing a full quarter of non-Vince programming and to see kind of how if the media calls or the investors calls take on any type of different format or pattern without Vince involved at all. Vince had been kind of not being involved, had not been very directly involved in the investor calls. Vince barely spoke in his last years as as CEO of this company. So it's probably not going to be that different. So it's probably not going to be that different. It's probably mainly going to just be Nick Khan talking. But it'll be interesting to see maybe if the, the format is different, if some of the things that Stephanie or, or, or Triple H might talk about um, would be maybe different, things that Vince maybe would have said in the past. Um, yeah, I don't know. I it, it doesn't seem like – Nick to talk, as he always does. He'll have an opening statement. I expect Stephanie to have an opening statement. I expect Frank Riddick to have a, a, a boring accounting talk, but one that he has to have. Will Paul Levesque have a similar opening statement? I think is is, is a, a question. Mm-hmm. Maybe he will. Um, so this morning, uh, this morning is being reported that Big Twelve. So the Big Twelve has reached a new TV rights deal. Big Twelve. Yeah, and that's a conference that lost Texas and Oklahoma. Whoa! To... There's a Big Ten. There's a Pac-12, and there's a Big Twelve. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Vince would never stand for this. This is confusing. <laughs> No, Guess how many teams no. are in the Big Ten? <laughs> Not ten. Not ten. I, I don't know the count exactly, but there was – I think recently there was – the Big Ten had 12 teams and the Big 12 had 10 teams. So uh, it looks like they've uh, it reached a deal with ESPN and Fox, $380 million per year, an increase of 73% from its current deal. And this is a conference that lost its two most popular colleges. That is Big insane. 12. Yes. Is this like the number three most prestigious f- college football league? No, not at all. I would say it's Big Ten. It's it's Big Ten and SEC battling each other for one and two, and then probably ACC. ACC yeah. for football. For football, I think it's probably the Big Twelve. You think it's? But once again, we're taking Texas and Oklahoma out of the. I mean, I guess you still got Texas yeah. And, you have Texas. Well, you have um, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, State, Texas Christian. Um. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's the ACC. I don't know. ACC is always to me a basketball conference, but I guess they have Clemson. I do know ACC has have Clemson, right? And they have North Carolina University and Duke, and that those Mm -hmm. Florida State, which is the big one. Florida for football. Yeah, Yeah, Clemson and Florida State would be Miami. They have Miami as well. Yeah, it's hard for me to know. Like, I I just think about what teams have been good, but that's not exactly. Always an indicator. It's it's a lot of it is based on prestige and alumni and and 
global fan base. Um, but what, what most people seem to think in the college world is that we're going to be headed towards maybe the TV contracts keep, keep it together for, for a long enough time, but we're going to be headed towards some sort of um, two big conferences, essentially battling it out. That's why the big 10 has already dipped their toe into acquiring schools like USC and UCLA to kind of raid, basically raid the PAC 12 of their biggest schools. And the SEC will probably continue to raid the big 12 for their schools. Yeah. And if the SEC starts raiding the ACC, then it's on, which I they possibly could be Miami, Florida state. That makes sense with the SEC. So it was Clemson. Well, as we learned with the USC, Acquisitions geography means nothing. So well, yes. anyone is on the table. Um, but it all comes down. It's all and it's all. Now, are these deals, Gullo? Do you know if they're just for football or are they for all sports? Is there a college basketball component or are those? Um, I think the, the football and the basketball come together. It's yes. I think that there is a basketball component to it too. There's probably like sub deals with basketball, but yeah, like for yeah. years, like I know because Fox has put all their chips in. But well, they used to on Pac-12. Football and basketball. So, and yeah, that was always and a, CBS had SEC basketball and yeah. base and, and football as well. I, um, I think technically this would be like all sports, but obviously, you know, they're not really like the maybe the subsidiary Fox channels and ESPN, you know, plus is showing. You know, right. The football is what's the most football is yeah. the most valuable, but if there's a sport that has any other monetary value to these colleges, it would be college basketball. And the ACC would be the college basketball. College. Yes. Yeah, they are. They are the number one conference in college basketball for sure. Okay. Go, All right. We'll continue mo- <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll continue monitoring. And then and now we have Nick Nick Conga talk about this. Now we have news Nick Conga talk about. It's like, yeah, I we just be, saw I wouldn't, I, million. I wouldn't be surprised if he talks about that. So, something else we might learn about on Wednesday morning is some impression of what the paid attendance was for Clash of the Castle because of how they do their key performance indicator slides, which is uh, as I can see if I can pull them up quickly. Um, they, let's see here. They, they do key performance indicators. And if I uh, remove this, right, I'll stop screen and then restart this. Um, and we'll put the, the investor relations page on, on, on the screen for people watching on YouTube. If I go to the, the key performance indicator slides, um, are no longer updating. Oh, I see. Um, let's open a new tab. So if we go here, this is as of the last update for Q2. They're doing Q3 this week. Uh, and we have this international side of attendance that they, that they give us. So that's going to have one event in Q3. There were no other international events, unless I'm totally missing something. I'm pretty sure there's, there's only one international event in this entire quarter, and that was Clash of the Castle. Um, so we'll get an average for the international section of their attendance, and that should be one event. Uh, so we might get an impression. And this is always, my belief strongly, is that this is always paid attendance. Yes, the, the WrestleMania thing that they put in the press release, and sometimes that they even mention it in other things that are nearer to investor relations. Yeah, that might be fictitious. But this is real attendance here. This, this is reflecting real paid ticket sales. Um, so I think we'll get an impression of that. Um, I think I'm baking in like 45,000 paid because I think actually Nick Khan said that they had 45,000 paid in excess of that on the previous call. So we'll get some impression of how many tickets it sold. And then there's there's a breakdown. There's a totally separate uh, line of, of reporting that they do for international ticket sales too. 
which should give us a pretty clear idea of what the gate was, as well as the average ticket price. So we'll see how that goes. Um, probably get a, I think they they will break down merch. No, they'll do domestic merch per capita. But anyway, that's that's what to expect there. Um, the stock price, W shares have been on the rise as uh, it gets closer and closer to seventy dollars to eighty dollars per share. Uh, we are now, as of the close of the market Friday, at seventy eight dollars and seventy two cents. W is worth just under six billion dollars in market capitalization. Visic man has gained on paper his market value. He's gained like $367 million on paper in unrealized equity. Um, I tweeted it. The news sites picked it up. They still owe me a coffee that they have not given me yet. Um, that, that did deter quote tweets, though. That, that, that would have been quote tweeted. But I said, you owe me a coffee if you quote tweet this. And the IWC is afraid to owe me a coffee, clearly. Um, but this is uh, my, my stock price target which is based on forward-looking profitability, forward-looking EBITDA, uh, is $76. We're now over that, that declared stock price target that we, we put out on September 21st when the stock was only $67. Remember those days when, when W stock was only $67? I do. And now it's worth 78 So if you listened to WrestleNomics, not saying that you should, this is not financial advice, nor should it be construed as such. Don't sue me. But if you bought W stock back in September when it was worth $67, you are now considerably more wealthy because the stock is worth a lot more. Um, and we also back in around WrestleMania time said $62 and, and, and 94 cents, $63. That's a little undervalued. Well, it's, uh, it's way above that. Um, are we getting to the point where this stock is overvalued? I, I wouldn't quite say that. Um, it's plausible that. You know, who, there, there's a lot of um, leeway here, I think, for speculating about what their next media rights deal is worth. Now, if, if this stock gets up to like $100 and stuff like that, then, then you may see WrestleNomics start to lament uh, the insanity of, of, of the stock market, as has happened in previous rounds. Uh, and I want to call this out specifically. If we look back to the, the speculation, the run-up to... The 2014 TV deal, there was this huge speculation bump, and then the stock collapsed. Uh, it, was, it was actually getting near $30, and then the stock collapsed as W had a disappointing TV deal back in 2014. They were, this is the infamous comment from Vince where he says, you can put me in a hammerlock if we don't at least double our, our TV rights yeah. value. He thought that they could triple their TV rights value. He told, I believe it was Mike Hickey, that he could put him in a hammerlock if they didn't reach that. Multiple, they had a 1.7 multiple, so they didn't even double it. Uh, I don't think Vince McMahon has delivered on that hammerlock, but nonetheless, I think the um, the W Network got in the way in in the sense of Comcast is a uh, benefits from W pay per view sales, I believe, and I believe part of the story is that W undercutting its own pay per view business maybe made Comcast slash NBC Universal a little bit less enthusiastic about renewing. W at a big rate. This is before Fox gets involved. That happens in 2018. There's a big run-up as W makes its new TV deal. It made the new TV deal in spring of 2018. So just after this huge run-up really starts to happen, 
there's a little bit of spike here and it goes right back up to nearly $100 and it totally collapses back to 40. Um, I guess what I'm saying here is I would be watching to see if a similar ridiculous valuation of this stock price is, is coming. Um, there was a lot of last time speculation around international value too. What can they get in India? That'll be coming up too. I would think, I think that's a five-year deal that started in 2020. So that may be coming up for renegotiation shortly after the U S deal. Um, the UK deal lost value in the last round. What's happening there with BT sport channel five. Um, I don't know if there's more value to gain in the UK. There might be marginal. There might be some incremental value to gain in India still. Um, but a, a big open question with lots of possibilities I see still with the, with the U.S. deal. 1.5x is a good base case. Is it going to be less than 1.5x? I would be surprised, and that would be disappointing, and that would hurt the stock. Could it be a lot more? Maybe. Um, could see Amazon getting involved and taking SmackDown. That seems very realistic to me. And if that's the case, I could see this going well over 1.5x. I mean, very big. I mean, we see the uh, Big 12 is getting $380 million a, a season, and that's a, a conference that's decreasing in popularity. So, What's, what's that as a multiple over what their incumbent deal is, average annual value? Um, I don't know. So the, it was a 78% increase of what they previously had, which was yeah. a 2.6. That was a $2.6 billion deal over, it looks like, 78% years. increase. Yeah. So, so 1.8x, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 healthy, especially yeah. for sp- probably a deal that is probably al- already pretty high, right? Yeah. Um, now that's two networks chipping in, which could be obviously very similar with WWE with SmackDown and Raw. So I would expect SmackDown and Raw to stay separated. I I, I don't buy that Comcast is going to buy this company. I don't really buy that anybody's going to buy it anytime soon. And Endeavor does seem like a like the the most sensible option. I don't think a big media company like Comcast wants anything to do with wrestling. It's too, it's too lowbrow. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on. What else have we got? Um, should we do the Hall of Fame? This could be a three-hour conversation on its own. It could. I've already recorded two and a half hours of audio on the Hall of Fame this week. Um, Who you what are your for? thoughts? You want me to do my ballot right now, live on air? If you want to. So, Sure. Um, so I haven't. I, this is a, uh, my unofficial ballot. This is Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, by the way. Yes. So my unofficial ballot right now is in the historical performers era category. Johnny Rougeau, and that's it. Where's Johnny? So just Rougeau. Johnny Rougeau. There he is. I don't know who Johnny Rougeau is. Is that Jacques Rougeau's father? Um, it's either his father. I think it's his uncle. Okay. Um, but Johnny Rougeau was a huge star in Montreal in the, I think from like the late 1950s into the 1970s. Um, and was also a star in the Northeast to a degree. Um, his career is probably un, underrepresented uh, in most kind of history books and, and TV documentaries and things like that, because it was a little bit longer ago than, than most people go back with their history, which is mostly to the 70s and 80s. He was in a non-English speaking promotion, which would be promotions in Montreal. And his promo- his tapes were not purchased by WWE. So his video of the video library is much more difficult to find. Um, 
But I think if you look at his drawing record and his star power over a long period of time, he stands out. What, what decades would this be? I would say his, his peak would be the 1960s, but he was definitely a star, I think, into the 70s. Um, but, you know, he was running – they were running some successful stadium shows at the, the Montreal Expos baseball stadium um, later in his career. Um, but, you know, it was, was consistently drawing between ten to 20,000 people to, for shows for decades. Um, wrestled a ton of big names over that span. Gotten a very notable promotional war with another promotion uh, in, in Montreal. Um, Pat Laparde, Pat Laparde, I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but he, he wrote a very good article going way into the history and the drawing record. It's on the Observer site. Um, that was very convincing to me. I didn't honestly know that much about him, but if you do the research on all these guys, I don't like voting for the tag teams. I should add that. I'm kind of ignoring yeah. them this year. I think it's stupid. <laughs> I think the way Dave has done it is really stupid. Um, so, so for people who don't know, this there's a new rule, new rules in in this this system here. Um, there are now no more tag team erasure. Their tag teams are now being considered. There have always been tag teams on the ballot. You know, Rock and Roll Express got in, in recent years. Uh, Midnight Express, I believe, got in. You know, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson as a tag team have been on this ballot for years. Um, but Dave is adding candidates where. One of the members of the tag team is already a Hall of Famer, but the other member is not a Hall of Famer. Uh, for example, Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee, Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada, Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada, Antonio Inoki and Seiji Sakaguchi, uh, Ricky no. Choshu and An- Animal Hamaguchi. Uh, this has never been done before. Yeah, Bulldog's but, not in, but Dynamite is, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, I think I think the the Von Erichs being on as a trio is is a first, right? Um, no, the Freebirds no. are in. I mean, I mean the Von I mean the Von Erichs themselves. Being oh, okay, yeah, 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 yes. Uh, the Rockers are on the ballot in the historical category for the first time. Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Oh, some of these are wrong. Some of these are wrong. I think I copied and pasted this from the email he sent me. Yeah, well, the email he got wrong. Like, the Von Erichs are historical. <laughs> no, he's admitted this. Like, the Von Erichs are... So the cutoff <sighs> for historical and modern is 30 years ago. So the cutoff is 1992. So right, if, if the Rockers being, are in the historical, the, if the Von Erichs should certainly... A, if you stopped being a main event act before 1992, you should be in the historical category. If you were a main event act after 1992, you were in the modern category. The Von Erichs obviously stopped being main event acts well before 1992. What if you're never a main event act? In the historical performance. (laughs) I would say that most of these acts are. There's definitely some acts here. It's it's basically your – when when, when did you kind of stop at your your prime? When did your prime start to decline? Because some of these guys did wrestle after 1992. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting extra votes if they want them. Only for this year because of the addition of all these extra tag teams. Um, you could vote in up to eight names per category instead of five, although that's only for the historical performers category. It's not for modern or Japan or Mexico or any other categories. While we're talking about the system, just briefly, um, let, me, let, me, let me add in here. How many people actually vote in this thing? Um, 
there, it's been more this year. So last year it was it's in, in the biggest category that people do vote in the modern U.S. and in Canada. Over 450 people voted, and this has increased over the years. I did I did look up like are, are there like a lot of people voting relative to like say the Baseball Hall of Fame, which which this Hall of Fame is so, so often compared to. Um, it, now it's on par, I would say, with with the Baseball Hall of Fame. So it's not like, certainly more than like the Football Hall of Fame, which only has a very limited number of voters. Does it? Um, so yeah. Uh, just just thoughts on on the tag teams, uh, and, and is is that a, a good decision or not? Uh, I think I don't like I, I I'm kind of the minority. I think a lot of people seem to have enjoyed it, but I think it just complicates the ballot in unnecessary fashion because the reality is that most of these guys, the reason one guy is in the Hall of Fame and one partner is not is because one partner is a significantly bigger star than the other. And so it's almost like a lot in a lot of cases, it's like these guys that are not Hall of Famers sponging off of guys that are Hall of Famers and sponging off of their drawing power to then make an argument for themselves. A perfect example is Argentina Rocca and Miguel Perez. So if you look at them as a tag team, they drew there. There's an argument that they're the best drawing tag team of all time. They drew huge houses consistently throughout the 1950s. Um, a lot of it at Madison Square Garden, setting gate records at Madison Square Garden. Huge, huge act. But it's mostly because Argentina Rocca it was a massive star during that time period and is one of the five or six biggest individual drawing cards in the history of American wrestling. And so the fact that Miguel Perez is his tag team partner is like, it's really just Argentina Rocca. And like, not to say Perez didn't add anything to the act or anything like that, but it's hard for me to be like, Miguel Perez now needs to get in the Hall of Fame because he was in a tag team with Argentina Rocca. Um, to use another example, Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada, the Holy Demon, Demon Army. Um, br- br- brace for Akira Tawe disrespect. It's incoming. It is incoming. So Tawe has been on, on the ballot as an individual for years. And so when he was on the ballot as an individual... He just fall, fell off, right? I don't know if he fell off or he's now just being converted into this tag team. Because that's happened with, with other guys, too, that have been on the ballot. Um, but, so he's in this tag team now. So so when he was on the ballot as an individual and failed to get in, when he was being evaluated as an individual, you were supposed to take into consideration the entire uh, breadth of his career. So all of his singles matches and all of his tag team matches. And so for voters, they saw Akira Tawe's career, which considered his run as part of the Holy Demon Army as a crucial part of it. And they said, I don't really think he should be in. And so he never got in. Now he's being converted to just as a tag team where you're supposed to evaluate his career just as a tag team wrestler. In a lot of cases, that makes him have a stronger case because the Holy Demon Army is one of the biggest drawing tag teams of all time. And for their, their greatest draws was very high and the match quality was very, very high. But to me, if Tawai wasn't good enough before when we were encompassing his entire career, why would he be good enough now when we're just looking at his tag team run? We're looking at less of his career and saying he's more likely to get in. And the only reason for that is because he was tag team partners with Toshiaki Kawada, who is a Hall of Famer, who is an amazing professional wrestler and was a huge drawing card and that whole act in all Japan pro wrestling really took off. But if you just take Tawe away from Kawada, he doesn't stand up to Hall of Fame quality. And I think it's ridiculous for us to now have a, basically a referendum on whether Tawe should get in or not through this tag team prism. I think we ha- we figured out if Tawe should be in the Hall of Fame. He didn't when he was on as a singles. Why are we looking at just his tag team record now? 
and making that because that's a smaller sample size where he achieved more and had like a higher percentage of success than he did as a singles act. We're now looking at that and saying, oh, this is a no-brainer Hall of Fame pick because they're one of the best tag teams of all time. It's like they're one of the best tag teams of all time because Toshiaki Kawada is great. And not to say that Taui's like a stiff, but he's not a Hall of Fame quality performer. And I don't like this being used to kind of goose those guys into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'm tempted to say, thoughts, Golo. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I I feel I feel like it's kind of uh, my 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 initial reaction to the, to this rule is it's kind of uh, inflating the Hall of Fame and, and putting a lot of people in who are giving the 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 chance to be in or giving candidacy to people who I, don't know, I guess we kind of the the voters have kind of decided are not Hall of Famers or in Japan in particular there there isn't this unit tag team concept like there is in the United States, say the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, where that's that's their identity as as a brand, let's say. Whereas Anoki and Sakaguchi, they were very much individuals, right? There, and 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 in Japan in particular, there's more of a a tradition of a lot of tag teams, which leads to big stars having frequent tag partners and in, in all Japan in the 90s in particular, treating the tag title like a main event title where people who fought for the Triple Crown and major singles matches also competed for the tag title, such as Kawada and Tawe. Um, I, I totally get nominating the Steiner brothers, maybe the Von Erichs even as a trio, the Freebirds and things like that, um, considering the Hardy Boys, because they, they're somebody who really had an identity as a tag team. Um, it's... It's straining, straining the borders of of uh, of how we define candidates. I think. Uh, I think. Well, like, look at to use an example, and I haven't researched this, so I might be incorrect, but I feel pretty confident in saying, like, a Hulk. If you were to look at like Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake, their drawing records when they were like a tag team, I'm sure were probably really good. I'm sure if you looked at like them, they probably sold out shows in like could be compared to like other main event acts of that time period and be successful draws, but no one would ever really, you wouldn't really consider that as like a hall of fame tag team because I think most people would acknowledge that the reason that tag team was over was because Hulk Hogan's like this enormous star and Hulk Hogan's really over and Brutus Beefcake's like kind of lucky to be on the team with him. But and Hulk I think Hogan's that's bags would have never gotten there if not for Brutus. <laughs> and I think that's like, to, to use an example I think more people are familiar with, that's what I look at when I see like Rocket and Perez because I'm listening to Dave and he's like, well, Rocket and Perez, they've got to be in because they're this great tag team act. And it's like, like Argentina Rocca is this great individual drawing card and his tag team partner, you know, was able to get into a lot of main events because he was tagging with them. I don't understand why we need to now make sure Miguel Perez is in the Hall of Fame or that this tag team is recognized in the Hall of Fame. Those main events and those big houses are all recognized in Argentina Rocca's induction in 1996. So, like, I don't, I feel like we don't need to recognize, like, the, the guy, the secondary members of these tag teams. Um, so, we could spend hours going through this whole thing, but let's, um, let's focus on maybe some, some high interest highlights. What, what, do you, what do you want to say, Gal? I just have a real quick question. When you guys evaluate this, do you take in maybe the non-wrestling part? For, so, like, for example, Bill Dundee's now in this tag team because he hasn't got in as an individual, but Bill Dundee was also a pretty successful booker for Mid-South. Like, does that 
take in like being a booker and a, and an in ring talent altogether? Do you guys? I think evaluate you should, yes. That that's, yeah. that's, I think that's a big reason why Shima is on this ballot as a trainer. Yeah. Yes. Do you agree? Wrestlers are supposed to be evaluated. There's three criteria to be evaluated. But, but nobody's going to be in as a wrestler and as a non-wrestler. Nobody's, nobody is, right? No, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're in nobody's as a double hall of famer here. There are double hall of famers, but they're recognized for um, like different they're recognized in different ways. I I can't like, like, like his a lot of them is a wrestler and a promoter. Right. So a lot of these people were original inductees in the class of 1996. So that's where Dave. There's no voting process. Dave is just putting in a massive wave of like obvious people to get into the Hall of Fame, and some and a lot of those people are recognized in the hall for being in the Hall of Fame both as professional wrestlers and as promoters. Giant Baba, Vern Gagne, um, you know, uh, Bill Watts. Um, you know, the story that like this was this is a Hall of Fame that was invented on a plane ride back from Japan or something. I, I don't know. I don't know when Dave when Dave invented it. it sounds right, but it's a. Um, <laughs> but so there are people in as as both. Um, I, I I I think so. There's 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 three criteria for wrestlers to be voted in. They have they wrestlers should they can, they can be outstanding in one of the criteria and bad at the others and get in. They can be. Just you know, above average in all three criteria, and, and get in and not being there's you just but there's supposed to be three criteria you use to evaluate. The first is drawing power. The second seconds is excelling in the one's field of professional wrestling, which are considered the performance criteria. So people usually related to in ring work, but is also supposed to be considered people who may have been excellent promos, things like that. Were you actually good at professional wrestling as as an art form? And then the last one is historical significance. And so a lot of times with wrestlers like Shima, as an example. You can say, okay, this is his in-ring ability. This was his performance level. This was his drawing record. And then what is the historical significance? Is it him being a trainer, him being a booker? That kind of aspect also plays into it. So you are supposed to evaluate all of those contributions to pro wrestling in the candidacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some, let's, let's, let's just call out a few big names uh, on, on the ballot then. Um, Roman Reigns is back on the ballot. Is Roman Reigns a Hall of Famer? As as he uh, as his career stands in twenty twenty two, I talked about this on a podcast. I did. I'll plug it at the end um, this week. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not voting for Roman Reigns, but um, it it asks a question about um, like if if Roman Reigns is not in the Hall of Fame, is the Hall of Fame an abs- absurd concept? Because Reigns, from a kayfabe standpoint, is a Hall of Famer. He's main evented WrestleMania multiple times. He's held world titles for very long periods of times. He's probably been the most famous active wrestler in the world for a period of time. Does he meet any of the three criteria would be subject to debate. I'm, I'm saying no at the moment, but uh, he's, he's definitely a fascinating candidate. We talked about him a lot uh, earlier this week. And I think eventually I will vote for him just because it will become absurd that he's not in, but I'm not ready to yet. If I guess it's like, if, if, Whatever this era is, maybe you started like when the network launched in 2014. If if, if anybody from this era from WWE is going to be a Hall of Famer, it's it's going to be Reigns, right? If 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 Reigns is not a Hall of Famer, then nobody from this era is. Mm-hmm. To be clear, Cena, could... Cena's already to, to give people some background. So Cena's already in, Lesnar's already in. Like who who else is such so a Brian, top star? Brian Danielson is in. Um, AJ Styles is in. Um, CM Punk might get in this year. I don't know. 
Randy Orton, uh, but he's totally a different era before too. So Randy Orton's like, not he, in. Yeah, he's on the ballot. He's not in, so yeah, he's on the ballot. Yeah. So I mean, I, I assume he would be in eventually. Yeah, and, and like I, I, I voted for Danielson and I voted for AJ Styles, and part of their cases in ring work, um, right? And 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 non WWE work. Um, mm-hmm. but I, th- I, th- I think we talk about Reigns in sort of this in in similar ways to to CM Punk, who's also on the ballot, who I have voted for. I've not not voted for Reigns, but I I feel similar to Jesse in that. I will probably vote for him eventually. I don't know if I'll vote for him this year. I'll th- I have to think about it. I haven't decided who I'm voting for, but I think Punk is another very interesting one. Again, I, I voted for him. I have my, all, all my vote records back here. I voted for Punk multiple years in the past. I voted for him last year. I voted for him in 2019. I voted for him in 2017. So I voted for him three times. Um, as a draw, his case has been strengthened. I, I went on a rant last week on Russellomics Radio about look at look, look at all these things he did. He uh, popped the biggest pay-per-view that AEW's ever done. All their pay-per-views with him have been b- bigger than any of the pay-per-views without him. Uh, Million Dollar Gates seems to be a quarter-hour positive contributor. Okay. But this, in, in, in practice, I think this, this Hall of Fame, like any voting system, even though we're, we've got, you know, a select number of voters here who are reporters i would be curious what the breakdown is as far as people who are actually returning ballots in terms of the percentage of people who are just you know writers reporters and the people who have actually worked in the business wrestlers and so forth but anyway regardless of that what what happened after all out uh paints him in a bad light i think i would say generally to most people and does that hurt his candidacy in practice probably and i think that's probably going to outweigh in the voters perspective any positive contribution to his getting in that his actual drawing performance uh which is, has 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 been strengthened substantially in the last year uh so, so anyway i think his he's not no more likely this year to get in although i'll probably vote for him again despite despite um you know despite the fight that he was involved in <laughs> i think he's more likely to get in this year than last year because of the drawing record that he displayed throughout uh for most of 2022 but is this a Shawn michaels thing where like people wouldn't put Shawn michaels in for years because you know pre the comeback uh he was such you know his reputation problem yeah yeah i mean to me i was actually so i didn't vote for him last year and i said you know what i probably think he should be in but i'm gonna wait a year because he's gonna i knew he was probably gonna win the title sometime in 2022 let's see if his drawing power holds up and let's see if he puts a little bit more of a track record down as a draw outside of just kind of his immediate return, which is what we were talking about this time last year. And I thought he had done that. And around halfway point of this year, I was like, Jesse, you did it right. You, 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 you took time. You didn't vote for CM Punk. And now look at the drawing record he's put up. I'm, you can confidently put his name down in 2022. So you, you handled this very well. And then I looked at, um, and then the, the all out thing happened. And now I'm like, well, now it's kind of like a mysterious. I'd like to see what the long-term ramifications from a business perspective are from the all-out press conference and of CM Punk quitting, and seeing how that factors into his Hall of Fame case. And if business goes down without CM Punk, which it kind of has, is that do we look at that and saying as more evidence that CM Punk as an individual was a big drawing card, and therefore it helps his case, or can you say CM Punk is unprofessional and this is a negative thing that he did, and that should hurt his case? I think there's no rush to put him in. 
So I'm going to hold off again for another year. But if he got in, I would totally understand the drawing case for it. I think I think it's been established. I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I will probably vote for him just because I voted for him in the past. And I think his, his case has been strengthened. I think he was unprofessional and a detriment to his company uh, in, after the press conference. Um, but I don't feel like that's something that will dissuade me outright from voting for, for him again. Um, the, only, the only modern candidate I, vote for, I, I feel like I'm going to vote for this year is Paul Orndorff. Who have I voted for? I've, I've voted for, I only voted for CM Punk in, in that category last year. It's not a strong, it's not, to me, it's both the historical and the modern candidate, U.S. candidates don't have a ton of candidates that I feel like I have to vote for. We talked about Cowboy Bob Ellis, Jesse. You said you were going to vote for him, right? Because of how big of a draw he was. Cowboy Bob Cowboy Ellis. Bob. Yeah, no. didn't we talk about that? Oh, thought we talked about that last week on here, yeah. Well, Cowboy <laughs> Bob Ellis was a huge draw. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like somebody should vote for him in the historical candidate. He was a big baby face act um, for a long time. I think, you know, the historical act, so my, my policy in the historical act, generally speaking, is I am a recent voter of this ballot. I'm a recent voter for the, for this. A lot of these guys have been, their candidacy has been debated for decades. I don't really feel like, if a, I feel like... There's not that many guys out there that I feel like have to actually get in. We're all talking about very fringe and borderline cases for these guys because they have been there. And most, for the most part, their cases have been combed over by people who are more familiar with that time period than me, people that were contemporaries of these names. Um, and I don't want to be like the baseball veterans committee and just start putting in like the biggest borderline candidates possible and kind of lowering the standard of the Hall of Fame. I'm a small Hall of Fame person. I'd like to have a more limited, more select group than maybe other voters. And I just see all of these guys for the most part as being um, talent that's on the border. And, and, and I don't really feel like the only the, one of the reasons I'm high on Johnny Rougeau is because I feel like he hasn't been given a fair shake because of I think he's a little bit older of a candidate. And I don't think the fact that he was in a non-English speaking promotion and that there's not a lot of videotape of him available makes him like a less known candidate than someone like um, – you know, I don't know, Ole Anderson or Rocky Johnson or, or Black Jack Mulligan or Harley Race and Larry Henning. Um, and these guys who have been, I think they're available. Sergeant Slaughter, like these guys, I don't think like Sergeant Slaughter to me is not and junkyard dog are two like very famous names. I don't think those guys are getting like shafted historically for what they've done. I think their, their accomplishments are very well known, but they haven't been determined good enough to get in. I don't really see a lot of evidence to, to kind of change that. I really need to be convinced that someone is being really overlooked to vote for them, I think, if they're in the historical candidacy. I have voted for JYD in the past. I did not put him on my ballot last year. Um, somebody I will most likely vote for, who I did vote for last year, is, is Tomohiro Ishii. Um, I, I will probably vote for Naito eventually. I don't know if I'll vote for him this year. I'm mm, still... You should vote for Naito over Ishii. I'm it's it's age though. I I'm not I voted for Okada despite him being however old he was, 34, 35, I guess 35 last year cuz he has to be 35 because he was such a obvious candidate. Um Naito is not a super obvious candidate to me and I think it's absurd that we have to vote on people who are under 40, much less under 45. <laughs> Ishii is like how old is Ishii now? Ishii's like in his late 40s now. Yeah. Not nearly the star. I think he's forty-five. Okay, but not, Ishii not not nearly the star that that Naito is. But I think he's such an obvious, outstanding performer, one of 
maybe arguably the greatest wrestler of his era um, that he's, he's got to go in. And I think his style itself is, is influential, a, a style that people associate with matches in the G1 Climax in this era, I think is especially exemplified by him. Um, He'll be 47 in December. Okay. okay. So he's 46. I, um, I think on the, if we're talking Japan, I think Naito is the most obvious candidate on this ballot, not counting some of the non-wrestlers who I think are more, maybe perhaps more obvious, but I think Naito has the, the most obvious clear-cut slam dunk case. A, I think he's significantly big enough draw in a lot of cases, for the last for some of the years in New Japan, he was the biggest draw in the company ahead of Tanahashi and Okada. I don't know if that's translated over to the Western market as much, but in Japan, he's been hugely successful, both as a merchandise draw and as a attendance draw. Um, and I think he's been really underrated as a worker. I think I I personally enjoy Tetsuya Naito as a worker more than Tomohiro Ishii. Um, and I uh, I did this exercise with with um, Adam Berger on. Thursday, I was saying, I think Ishii's a great in-ring worker, and I, I'm willing to actually put Ishii on my ballot, but I was going over this thing, I was like, I think Ishii's like the eighth best worker from his era of New Japan. Like, so the concept of him being like, the, the this outstanding, above everyone else worker, which is what his candidacy is going to have to hinge on, I, I disagree with. But If Naito... Naito and Reigns seem <laughs> comparable to me in some ways. Like, if Naito's in... If you think Naito's a Hall of Famer, how is Reigns not a Hall of Famer? Because Naito individually would have a much larger impact on business than Roman Reigns. Like as to scale, Roman Reigns maybe is theoretically a bigger star, but a lot of that is because WWE is a bigger company. Naito himself impact on business are different things. Yes, like Naito like as an individual draw, I think Naito has a. What are the different? What what is it about being a star that is not necessarily encompassed in being a, a, a draw? Is that what we said? Um, is it name recognition? Is this like the Ultimate Warrior? But Ultimate Warrior, which which would it would freak a lot of people out, right? Who are not acquainted yeah. with this Hall of Fame. That the Ultimate Warrior is not in this Hall of Fame. He's off yes. the ballot, probably never getting in. <laughs> but but a very recognizable name. Mm-hmm. Do you think Goldberg's going to go that way too? I think Goldberg has a stronger case than Ultimate Warrior, but I doubt he's getting in this year Yeah, at a minimum. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Um, but is, 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 is that it? Like, is it name recognition that Roman Reigns has? Like the Ultimate Warrior so the case has? For, the case, being... so, so the case against Roman is that his accomplishments as a drawing card are largely attributable to being pushed as the top guy in WWE and that functionally almost anybody could accomplish what Roman Reigns did if they were pushed to the top. And that's not to say Roman Reigns isn't talented, but like the, like if you were to compare Roman Reigns to John Cena, the man he replaced 
as a star. Reigns is not I'm, as I'm, I'm I'm less convinced. I, I was more favorable to that view a few years ago than I am today. Mm-hmm. That I don't think that yes, there could have been especially maybe somebody like John Moxley, maybe Seth Rollins. There were other options on the table. But I'm less convinced of that of that argument today than I was in prior years based on based on the role that he's grown into today, you know. <laughs> with the, grabbing the Usos and, and this this role that he has as, as you know as a tribal chief as somebody who I think in, in fairness you could say by by pure attrition has become the star but there are inherent qualities that he has that I think make him more viable more viable as as that sort of you know ace of the company if you will well it's impossible to evaluate the current landscape of wwe in a hypothetical universe where roman reigns was not pushed over everyone else because everyone that exists on the roster currently or even people that are no longer in the company like john moxley um what we know of them today is exist is how they have existed in a world where roman reigns was pushed above everyone else and everyone else was made to be reduced and, and to not appear to be uh, a top star relative to Roman Reigns. So it's hard to really go back in time and say, well, if they pushed this person instead and they put, or they pushed this person instead, things would be different. It's really hard to evaluate what that would mean because what we understand, the only facts that we have is a world where Roman Reigns was pushed above everyone else. So it's hard to go back in time, but I do think that if they pushed somebody who wasn't uh, directly adversarial to what a lot of fans at the time wanted to do, the company would have been more successful. You you said that, Brandon. Um, yes. So, what have they reached a point where they're no longer me- being met um, with uh, such such um, adversary from their fan base with the push of Roman Reigns? Yes. Is Roman Reigns the biggest babyface in the company and the most popular wrestler? Yes. How long? What what was what cost did it take to get there? I think is an important question, which is what, and it's one of, it's why Reigns, I think, look, the, so I'll just plug it now. On Thursday, I did a podcast with Adam Berger on the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And the theme of the podcast was who do we think are the most intriguing candidates on the ballot? Not necessarily people we'd vote for, but who do we find to have the most interesting cases and who has the most kind of intriguing candidacy? And the first person I picked was Roman Reigns because I think his candidacy is very unique and very fascinating to discuss because of the ramifications of what it means um, to be a star in, in the in, in WWE in the in the 2010s and now into the 2020s. And we can't evaluate drawing power with contemporary stars the same way we can use drawing power as a as a measure and a tool for stars of the territory era because this it's much harder to evaluate that. I, I guess I want to like separate. And I do believe there's there's a cost to Vince McMahon pushing Roman Reigns in the way that he did from 2015 to 2020, mm-hmm. whatever it is. The, that cost was AEW. Um, but who's to blame for that? Vince McMahon, not Roman Reigns. Um, Roman Reigns is is a talent in his own right, and I don't think that that's part of the case against him, I guess. But if we're evaluating his drawing record, the fact that – he probably was a less optimal draw than other people would have been in that situation. And the fact is that the pushing and elevation of him into main events alienated a large enough swath of the fan base to create competition and also drive viewers away from the product, I think, um, has to be considered as part of his candidacy. It has to be. Why? That, 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 those are booking decisions made by, by Vince. But if we're evaluating his drawing power and Reigns is only getting in, I think, at the moment as a drawing power, the number one, the, you know, criteria category number one, drawing power, we can't just celebrate his successes. You also have to evaluate failures. 
And so you, and those, you're making his failures. Yes, you're making yes. Yeah, so, so you're making a, a more philosophical argument that he should because those are poor booking decisions on the behalf of of Vince McMahon. They should not be necessarily held against Roman Reigns as an individual performer. And those booking decisions that Vince made, which were to the detriment of the company, nonetheless enhanced Reigns' ability to be a draw, even though it wasn't in the best interest of the company. I accept that as a given. But it nonetheless made him a bigger star and bigger draw, by far the biggest draw post-Cena that WWE has had. So why is that held against him? So you're saying that because while we can say that the the, the, the the booking practices around Roman Reigns from like 2015 to 2019 or whatever date you want to pick yeah. um, were negative, in the end, it turned him into a big star. So why should we be looking at that as a negative? Right. Which I ex- accept is like a stupid situation. <laughs> and like is – I don't know if there's a, a, a comparison for that in wrestling history where somebody was chosen and – and was a pawn in a fight between a promoter and a fan base. Nonetheless, he did become and was talented enough to become the star and economic positive contributor that he was. Despite he's him become being, an economic contributor compared to his peers. Yes. And why is why is that? Is it because, because Roman Reigns himself is great, or is it because his peers have been reduced? I mean, like, look if 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 they, if, if Vince had chosen. Some random, you know, untalented dude from from FCW. He did. Um, untalented. I think Roman Reigns is like a B level talent. I, I think there's, there are a lot worse choices, and yeah. I don't, I I don't know that Reigns was even the wrong one. What I believe strongly though is the way that Vince went about it hurt the company and. And, and even hurt Reigns' ability to be an even bigger mm-hmm. star than he's become, which is a substantial star already, but could have been a much larger and more effective star had there been rational creative around him. <laughs> I suppose. I, I just – I don't think Reigns has A-level cam- uh, charisma, and so I think it's hard to well, you, get you, around you that. You think you'll vote for him eventually though? Yeah. Oh, yes. This is part of the Despite whole thing. Despite being a B-level – this is part of the but this is part of the Hall of Fame. This is about checking my own individual opinions and biases against the reality, which is the fact is a lot of people think Roman Reigns is tremendous. I think Roman I think a lot of people think Roman Reigns is a tremendous, tremendous wrestler. Um and while it's an in ring performer by wrestling. I think it just in general, like like a lot of people are gonna vote for Roman Reigns this year. Um and I think at some point I have to get off of my island and just say, look, this guy's accomplished a lot. I don't have to me putting him in the chief. me me putting him in the Hall of Fame is not me like saying like you know what Roman Reigns is great and he deserves to be in and I love him now it's 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 being rational about his career and the impact that he has had on wrestling and how the consensus fan base seems to feel about him um which is why I will consider voting for him in the future it doesn't make me a big fan of Roman Reigns it doesn't make me change my opinion on um, you know, how good I think of him as a performer is. It's weighing my own personal biases and views against a broader perspective and trying to be fair to each individual candidate. I'm going to, I understand that there are many, many styles of professional wrestling and there are many, many different ways to go about business. Not all of them are going to appeal to me as an individual, but 
as a voter, it's my responsibility to set aside those beliefs the, in the, to, to the degree that I am capable of doing and to present and to evaluate each case candidate based on, I think, the, what would be their optimal candidacy and see if that passes the criteria enough to me to consider voting for them. Yeah. So I have one more thing in that. I don't know if this is a, 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 a point in support of, of Reigns as a candidate or not, but it, it's, I think it's somewhat, somewhat like to make an analogy to maybe like football, if there was a, you know, you got, you got a football team and let's think to, to take maybe it's, it's neater to make this not about a, a hall of fame comparison, but maybe think about a team and like in, in, in Buffalo, we have the wall of fame, right? Where they put somebody's name and number up on the, the ring in the stadium. And like, if there was a, an, an era in, in the, the, in, in the history of a team where, coach general manager decided I'm going with this guy as the quarterback, even though there are, you know, even though a lot of people critics think we should trade him away or go with a different quarterback, or maybe even we've got a second, second string quarterback who's better. I say, no, you're wrong. I believe in this quarterback. It's really about my, my ego battle with whoever is criticizing me. But anyway, and, and we, we go with this quarterback for years and years and this quarterback, he's he's the you know he's like the the all time team leader in yards now. Maybe all time is too strong, but he's among the, the among the most uh, among the quarterbacks who have the most yards and touchdowns and and all. He's a leader in all these stats. I, I think that's a similar case to what we have in Reigns, right? Again, I'm not saying that that's for or against, but that's kind of the state. Yeah, it's hard with real sport. It's hard with real sports because statistics. So a perfect real- analogy. Statistics and real sports sports are ultimately inarguable in, in certain ways. They can be we can argue about context, but they're ultimately like you either did this performance against the same level of competition or you did not. I have the um, cage match data. Okay, we can talk about do, do, do you have anything to add to the? Yeah, I just wanted to like now John Cena got in in twenty twelve. Isn't this a similar situation? With Cena and Reigns, like why the hesitance on Reigns? We yeah. Cena. I, I think Cena is accepted as a draw more so than than Reigns is. I see very similar like trajectories, and I mean, and I guess, but we look current day. Reigns is a really. And I'm not saying that's very wrong, but but uh, but in in this populace, in this subculture yeah. of fandom, and and this is not just fans and reporters, but it's wrestlers too. Cena is accepted as a draw, as a merch seller, as, as whatever. He was and, and house shows. I, I can make a case and and look at you know market to market in in those last few years, of like you know, the two thousands and twenty tens. That that's even when you compare the same markets, you know house shows where he was on them versus house shows in the same market where he was not on them. That those house shows did perform better. Um, I can't say there's that also, about Reigns. There's, well, there's again, also, we have a different house show system now. And, and Cena also existed in an era, the last kind of era, pre-network era, where drawing power is much more easy to calculate. You can look at what the pay-per-views did year over year with him on the top versus other people. You can look at like even things like the the huge WrestleMania matches against The Rock, like the record-setting pay-per-view business that those shows did um, in a way that... Can we not look at like look at all these these WrestleMania main events that he was in? And uh, sure, you want to chalk it up to the brand, I guess. Yeah. But but look, the sure, biggest the gates brand of all is time, the four biggest gates of yes, all time. Yes, that's why it's absurd, right? That's why it's absurd to argue that he's eventually not going to get in because you look at the statistics and it says that. I just it's a fascinating argument because we're really talking about a star of attrition versus uh, individual star in certain in certain in a certain way. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, who do you think is more individually talented, Roman Reigns or John Cena? What Who's more charismatic? I think uh, I think John Cena is a better promo than Reigns is, but yeah. I think Reigns has become a pretty good promo too. I think I don't know. I've, I've, I I will admit I've I've cared less and less about in ring performances since I've stopped wrestling. <laughs> but I don't think it's that much of a difference between Cena and Reigns. So I think there's a re- I think there's a really big gap in charisma. Charisma, maybe, yeah, I would give you that. But in ring performance, I don't think there's that big of a gap. Oh no, I think you, Reigns would probably be a better worker than Cena yeah. is. Now, of course, they're doing WWE main event style matches, which one could argue are not particularly engaging, but um, require less skill to work in. But uh, I think, like when I say Reigns isn't talented, like I look at John Cena and I say Reigns is supposed to replace John Cena, and he's not nearly as charismatic as John Cena. Um, he's not nearly as confident of a speaker as John Cena. If anything, Roman Reigns has become a better promo by talking less um, or being better utilized uh, by talking less. I think Cena, Cena's overwhelming ability set up a blueprint for Roman Reigns to fail at first. I think Cena's ability to go in front of an audience that might be hostile towards him and cut a long promo that the fans would eventually be engaged in and would be interested in seeing a conclusion to mm-hmm. led WWE down a bad path with Reigns where they assumed that they could push Reigns in the exact same way without yeah. realizing the fact that Cena himself is a unique entity. Um, I think it's definitely true that Cena is better in the face of a hostile crowd than Reigns is. <laughs> Cena's, Cena's, better. Cena is one of Cena in the rock and CM Punk, I would say are the three guys of the modern era that are the absolute best at giving them a microphone and cut a 10 minute promo that people will be interested in seeing. And that is the critical role as a top WWE top star. That's what they need you to do because that's how the show had been formatted for so long. Reigns' skill set was not best suited for that, which is one of the reasons he struggled. Um, which is but a I look recent at, development in wrestling history. It's not like Hogan ever did that. No, it's not. It's most, most time you would cut like a 30 second backstage promo, but the Attitude Era and specifically The Rock and then later John Cena being so outstandingly good at that and other people like Chris Jericho and Batista, um, guys who were also, you know, Triple H. Don't forget Triple H. I didn't want to say, but Triple H, you know, I feel like Triple H promos can, can be good and can be bad. I don't really feel that strongly either way, but that's, that's kind of the way that WWE wanted them to be. And I think it's a kind of content officer. I think in the, the reason I bring it up as an example is basically looking at, like John Cena was so talented, he was able to make it work. Roman Reigns wasn't as talented, so they had to find a different way to utilize him. Maybe Reigns is more talented in different ways than John Cena, but I, I to me, I think Reigns is like a far step down from a talent department than John Cena is. And if you look at like The Rock and Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, like the talent level those guys possessed versus the talent level that Roman Reigns possess is is a clear step down in my opinion and brains being the face of WWE being the biggest star in the world. That was the kind of aspirations he had to live up to. John Cena will be selling Hondas later today when you watch the football. Um, we had, a su- <laughs> Go ahead. we had a super chat regarding the, uh, uh, hall, uh wrestling observer, uh, newsletter hall of fame. Uh, Louis Ducati asked Johnny Saint, not on the European, New Zealand, uh, Australia ballot WTF. 
He's on the ballot. We didn't have we didn't show yes, that on that chart, is. but he's on the ballot this year. Yes, he is. He's right here. Yeah, mm. he is. He is on the ballot. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll we'll talk about the candidacy of uh, Joe Higuchi and, and others another time. Um, um, anything else to add? I know. You, did you want to touch on the the AEW ticket sales and things like that? I just want to see what the data said because I think. The AEW is looking at some lower advances for upcoming shows and their attendance. We want to know about advances specifically. I, I feel like I have no frame of reference to to fair look at advances. While while I, I know there's the with the Bridgeport, Connecticut advance is like under two thousand right now for mm-hmm. a show that's in like the middle of November. That it's hard to say that that doesn't look look weak compared. Yeah, to, to well, like recent the tracks. Boston show, I think is at about. A little under three thousand in the advance. There's a Boston show coming up. I believe it's on the ninth, Wednesday, November ninth. I'm going to it, so I should know this. I just know it's on Wednesday. So Wednesday, November ninth, there's a Boston show. I think it's at like thousand advance, and those had been over five thousand each time. So what, um, what we have on the screen here are data from WrestleTix, tickets mm-hmm. distributed, averages for each month. The most consistent metric to look at for AW is Dynamite. We have averages for Dynamite for every month and there's four or five of them in every month. This is separating them out from the events that are just rampage or just battle of the belts tapings. And this month of October, which, which is over now, I guess, uh, for, for dynamite is at 4,600, 4,600, which is lower than it's not the lowest ever. I mean, there's, there's March here of 2022 It's probably not a time when people would be decrying the, the downfall of AEW where they did only 4,100 for an average again doing in this month 4600 for an average so they've i mean even in in august of 2021 they did a you know 4400 average is a little bit lower than they did in this month i would say without breaking this down further into markets which could be insightful and i've done a little bit of that in spreadsheets but i think this is one data point it's a sublip or a trend further months will tell us i would my my intuition is that AEW has was was benefited in the past by visiting a lot of markets for the first time or for the earlier portion of their history, and that was a novelty factor that helped them. They had CM Punk in the past, who they will not have going forward, who is clearly a positive contributor in my view, uh, and that's that's not present anymore. And I think we're we're starting to see what the normal level is for AEW in terms of being a, for one thing, a live event business. And that's maybe around 5,000. Do you think in general, AEW's business has more room room to fluctuate than WWE's business? And from just using live attendance as a standpoint, do you think it's more, do you think AEW is more, less, or the same of capable of, of being able to produce like an angle that suddenly gets hot and sells a lot of tickets. I think it's been difficult for WWE to do that over the years, but do you think AEW is still at a point uh, where as a company where it's only a few years old, where maybe like it's, it's more conceivable that something like the MJF angle could really get hot and they could start seeing their attendance jump up like by like maybe 15 or 20% as opposed to WWE, which is more uh, as a larger, more stable audience where it sometimes can become more difficult to kind of increase. No, not really. I think, I think what, what brings people to these buildings is kind of what I tweeted about last night is, is 
this is a fine, this is a, 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 a nuanced thing to say between nobody's a draw, the brand is a draw. And there's truth to that, but I don't believe that outright. Stars matter. Stars matter. Having CM Punk matters. Turning MJF into a bigger and bigger star matters. Having John Moxley, Jericho, etc. matters. And that helps the contingent of people who are contributing to this, this company's ability to sell tickets. Well, that's true. I think the, the, the expected quality of show that your brand is going to put on matters a lot, too. And maybe it's something like half the story. Whereas in prior times, in the context of a moment ago, talking about the Hall of Fame, where those companies that those stars were associated with had comparatively weak brand identities. Whereas today we have very clear brand identities when it comes to WWE and AEW, um, that that is a much bigger factor. Um, that's not to say if MGF becomes a, a way, way bigger star than he is today and becomes this massive wrestling star, I would expect that to be bared out in ticket sales. Um, but no, I don't think like a hot feud, which I, I, I almost even question to what degree that there are really great cases for that in the course of history of, of, of wrestling history where like this hot feud, it was so hot and it's made all these tickets get sold. I, I, I don't have experience looking at data like that, but maybe that's just the lack of research that I've done. Um, so you're questioning all of this, this, this history that's been repeated to us that so-and-so came into the territory and popped the territory. You're saying that may not be true. For I think what, business back example? then. So like, I was a know, really like, obvious example of that. So the Von Erics, right? The Von Erics get really big mm-hmm. and they, they turn, you know, the Dallas territory into this marquee, huge territory or a junkyard dog in new Orleans gets hot and suddenly they're running the Superdome or, Dusty roads taking off in Florida or well, there are various, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that those sound like cases to me of stars who emerged as draws. What I'm thinking about is like so-and-so or, or at least somewhat stars, but their, their feud really pops the popped business for a while. I'm, I'm lacking data to say. So established stars that pop business. Is that what you're talking about? I guess so. So like Bruno San Martino and Larry Zabisco feud, right? One of the yes. biggest drawing feuds at the time. Or Bruno San Martino and Stan Hansen that draw 40,000 fans to Shea Stadium. Um, I think if you go back in history, wrestling is more ubiquitous in society. And therefore, wrestling is more capable of seeing wide fluctuations, event to event, month to month, than in the modern era. And I, I'm, cu- I, I'm curious to know if AEW would be more likely to see those kind of fluctuations still as a brand looking to establish itself than WWE, which is a known quantity at this point. And I think it's been a challenge for WWE wrestlers of the modern era, including Roman Reigns to kind of have to, 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 to make that a clear part of their track record, just because of the way the business is for WWE today. Um, and, and this, this helps WWE in that just because of it, just because of it being a, a, a brand that is so well known has such brand equity. That's why they're able to draw some of what they're able to draw in terms of it's why they're, sales. Yeah. It's why they're able to draw more And like things like WrestleMania can sell a lot of tickets before any match has been announced because the brand of WrestleMania is strong enough, but it's more of a case of WWE 
having a, 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 a clear established core group of fans as opposed to AEW, which I think maybe has a more fluctuating not enough freakazoids yet yet more there are more casual people who will sample aew's product on a percentage basis than maybe wwe's product on a week-to-week basis WWE's um, not capturing the casual fan wwe can capture the casual fan but i think because aew's a smaller company and that there's a a, a wider swath of, of fans out there that could look we know there's a roughly about a million wrestling fans each week who watch WWE programming, but don't watch AEW programming. So we should, could, could AEW theoretically can capture those fans. There's not, WWE can't say they're necessarily the same thing because they're the biggest, they have the, the, the largest market share of fans. I think there's, <laughs> this is getting, this is getting too far down into a semantics hole. I didn't mean to, to plunge us this deep. Well, oh, I think, I think, I think, I think in general, there should be more of these conversations because everybody talks about these terms as if we all agree on what they mean. But like mm-hmm. TV viewership, for example, and I guess we'll just put this slide up here. Nobody can, I, anyway, um, that, that, that stat, which is questionable, that, that TBS put out there, three, what is it, three and a half million? What was it, Gullo? We talked about it on, on Thursday. Three and a half million, yeah, 3. Three million, 3. 5 million. unique viewers who watched at least, is it one second? <laughs> Six, th- a minute? A minute, a minute, one minute. In any case, what 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 I want to say here is that like there's there's about a million people on average on a minute basis per minute who watch Dynamite, but I think what there really are when we're talking about how many wrestling fans are there, at least when it comes to the even traditional TV consumption, it's a lot more than a million people who are watching AEW um, on an average minute by minute basis. It's a million, but when it comes to the number of people who watch, like, let's say, at least 15 minutes of it, it's a lot more than a million. Um, and so it's a lot more than 2 million or whatever it is for, for Braun SmackDown. We have uh, the couple of super chats regarding this, if, if you don't mind, uh, while we're on this topic mm-hmm. here. Um, Tim B., do you think there is an overall business seasonality involved with both companies? Like, do we yes. appear, appears to fail each summer and AEW each fall and early winter? Oh, I wouldn't. I don't know that it's different for the companies, but I would say in general, um, Q4 and Q1 definitely do better for for WWE, and that's why it's important to do year over year comparisons for for ticket sales, um, for for TV ratings. Certainly, in the case of Raw, where it's going against Monday Night Football, um, I don't know. I mean, with with AEW. We're, we're going to be looking at this Q3 in 2021 for a long time as a high watermark, I think. Um, but I don't know that there's different seasonality for AEW. I doubt and it. AEW hasn't been around long enough to, for, to really establish a clear track record of seasonality. It's, we've only been through like two or three seasons of AEW in total as opposed to WWE. I think it's been, it's been decades for us to identify like the lead up to WrestleMania as being a high point and the Monday Night Football season being a low point. Uh, does that there's just broader trends in terms of winter months? People watch television more, yeah. more entertainment, more yeah. summer months. People watch television less. I can see that in the showbiz daily data and people go to indoor entertainment less, which is just a, a headwind and conversely a tailwind. That's not to say that you can't, do good business in those times. Um, 
And uh, Super Chat here from Big Time Baxter. Do you have a chart that shows Dynamite's 18 to 49 and P50 plus? It looks like there's been an 18% drop in 18 to 49 and an 18% increase with over 50 since moving to TBS. Um, what, what do we want here? Eight, uh, a chart that shows, okay. What, what we want then is since moving to TBS, I can do like a year over year thing here. So let's share um let's share the big spreadsheet um and i think i have a tab kind of ready to address that unless i clear that all out with the p50 plus i did um so here's p1849 tbs is january 5th 2022 and forward i will now on the air generate a pivot table for p50 plus this is the kind of content you will only get here on WrestleNomics Radio. That's why if you do not listen to this program or watch it on YouTube, you're utterly lost and your takes don't matter. Um, Which, so by the way, uh, at the uh, end of the year, we should probably do that in an episode. Look at the move to TBS over a year of data, ratings data, and how it compared to TNT and was it successful. Is that not what we're doing right now? Well, we're doing a little bit, but I mean, at the end of the year, like literally a full year. Okay. Um. What I see here, so this is the average P50 plus rating, which is very similar to the number of viewers. Uh, 0.37 in 2021, an entire year on TNT. 0.40 in 2022. Half of that 2021, well, like three and a half months of it were in the Wednesday Night War. So that's probably, that's that's certainly dragging this rating down. Um, It's up 7%. Uh, In 18 to 49, 18 to 49 is essentially flat. We could look deeper into into the quarters, um, but it's it's essentially flat. What else? You're muted. While we were on AEW business trends, I figured I'd bring those two super chats up. Uh, but uh, there we have one more super chat which we could bring uh, when we wrap up here in a few minutes because uh, it goes back to your guys' uh, wrestling observer. Uh, Hall of Fame conversation. So, okay. Um, do we have anything else? All, all I have left, I think, is Jeopardy. Well, we can save Jeopardy for next week because we're already at an hour and a half. Unless you really want to do it, so yeah, we can, uh, we can save. Okay. Yeah. That's all I got. All right. So yeah, let's uh, we'll do the super chat then here. That goes back to your guys' conversation on the Hall of Fame. This is from CWJ one twenty eight. Wouldn't the better comparison be Reigns and Moxley? I would guess without blinking an eye, you would put Moxley in. Thank you. Moxley's not on the ballot this year. Yeah, I don't think. But, but better than what was the was the is this in reference to the comparison we were making between Reigns and, and Naito? I probably Reigns and Naito, or probably Reigns and Cena, probably both of them. The comparison that Brandon was making between Reigns and Naito, I'm not comparing the two. Would I put Moxley in without blinking an eye? I don't know. I do not. No, no definitely not without blinking an eye. No. Blink- Moxley has Moxley has things like. If you value like the wrestler of the year award, like I think every wrestler to everyone wrestler of the year is in, except for another person. Um, except for Moxley has won that. Except for Mystico is the one guy. Mystico might get in this year. Yes, I voted um, for him in the past. I don't vote uh, Mexico, so I know um, I, I I did last year, and I probably will continue to to, to vote no, for him. Good. There needs to be more. But as the chart you showed, there, there's kind of been a decline in Mexico voters, so probably more people should be getting involved. And I voted for Sanchez um, too. 
Moxley, like, yeah, like Moxley has a wrestler of the year award. So people value that, um, that might Moxley, put him in. Did I mean, he win wrestler of the year last year? When did no, he, he won in 2020. 2020. Okay. I think he's right. definitely going to win it this year. I think there's at least a really strong case for him to win it. I think, yeah, Reigns, Reigns might win it this year. I would say Moxley, given the Reigns observer's not, readership. Not win it from the, yeah. the observer readers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Mox, but Reigns has finished, you know, close. I think he finished second before, so it's not like it's impossible. Um, but I think Moxley might win a second one, which if you value that, some voters might not care about that at all, but um, it shows kind of like a level of success. I mean, as a as an individual star, Reigns is a bigger star than John Moxley. Um, as individual drawing cards, I don't know. I don't know if Moxley's proven to be a really big individual drawing card. I think he's a star. I think some people may favor Moxley as an overall performer over Roman Reigns. Um, but Moxley's not like a likely candidate to get in at the moment. He was on the ballot last year. He failed to get the, what is it, 15% that you need to get to stay on the ballot each year? Or is it 10% of the vote? Like so he's 10? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he really was nowhere close to getting in. I, I think Reigns, who also failed a few years ago, but is back on this year, I think Reigns is definitely going to get at least a minimum to get on. So I think the voters now would assume that Reigns is a much better candidate than Moxley. Um, personally, I'd probably lean towards Moxley, but I wouldn't vote. For, I don't think I'd vote for either at the moment. Uh, it, it's it's another age thing, I guess. Like if 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 I were uh, comfortable with the age thing, then I would probably vote Moxley, and maybe I'd vote Reigns in too. Hulk Hogan has never won the Wrestler of the Year award in the Observer. Cena did correct. Rick Flair was. It's, it's hey, it's the Flair Fez Award. It's it's. It's named after Red yeah. Flair. It's not the Hulk Hogan Award. The 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 dozen or so voters who were voting for Rest of the Year probably in the nineteen eighties. Uh, all along. the the yes, I think the voting now is a much more I think egalitarian process than it would have been back in the eighties. I, I think there's just like this is like uh, did John Cena ever win it? I have no idea. Yes, twice. Um, yeah. He won it in two thousand seven and two thousand ten. Yeah. Um, and this is of this could send us down another hour yeah. conversation. <laughs> I think there's, there's an observer frame of viewing the business mm-hmm. that may have been more relevant in the eighties and nineties that I'm questioning how relevant it, it is, or at least how sufficient it is for encompassing an understanding of the economic forces that, that determine the wrestling business by that. I mean, the way that fans think about wrestling, even younger fans and, and older fans too, I guess, is um, I don't know is is not the way that that observer fans, observer reading fans think about the business, and it's not, has not been the case that as as people have gotten more access to the internet, everyone has adopted that as 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 like the orthodoxy. Maybe that's one of one of the, the dom- denominations. But there's another one that, that doesn't consider match quality in the same way, if at all, and that just thinks about wrestling differently and makes choices about consumption on a different frame of reference. Anyway, that's a much larger conversation. Um, we have another uh, super chat here. Uh, Big Time Baxter asks, is NXT yes. viewership yeah, yeah, yes. improved since Vince Vitae? Yes. yes, it has. 100%. Yes, it has. Yes. Let's uh, we can give you a quick. I have a have a tab in in my spreadsheet completely dedicated to that consideration. In fact, uh, the the viewership in in the same number of days uh, that Vince has been gone 
compared to the same to compare that number of days. It's been a hundred days. It's been a hundred days since Vince has been gone. Uh, and in that time, NXT is up 14% in total viewership, 15% in the demo, 24% in 18 to 34. NXT year over year in October was actually up in the demo and in total viewership this year, or this this October versus last year, October, which is the first time that there has been a positive comparison in a year over year comparison of a month in more than a year. NXT has definitely improved in, in viewership. So credit to Paul Levesque for, for changing the business. And 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 his his underling Shawn Michaels. I, I think amazing I think if, job. If you were a, f- I think if you were a fan of NXT kind of before NXT 2.0, Triple H being back in power would be seen as a, a huge positive and something you would want to see. Um, I, I find the NXT product like unwatchably bad, but um, so I don't think it's really improved. But I think the the aspirations for fans to want it to see it be better well, is seven hundred and sixteen thousand viewers every week disagree. Speaking of Paul Levesque, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the news that I woke up to this morning that uh, Nakamura is going to wrestle in Noah on January 1st against Kaiji Muto. That's pretty huge, and I don't see that happening if Vince was still in charge. Well, didn't Didn't Kenta work a... Yeah, Kenta worked a match. Uh, I'm going to try to find it right now. Um, Was that Kenta or was that Hideo Itami? Kenta worked a match... In Did, he worked as Hideo Itami for Marafuji's 20th anniversary show back in 2018. Okay. So there is a precedent to be done here. I have heard speculation that it would be Muto Question. for their Hall of Fame when, when this year. Kenta slash Hideo Itami did that in whatever year that was. Was Vince even aware that he did that? Well, he was also on the NXT roster too, right? So it's like he wasn't on the main roster. Yeah, Nakamura is a main roster talent. I got its held, you know, championships and been a fixture on television yeah. i believe atami was on the main roster uh when he did that because he was in what 2018 did, what, did, what did kent ever do on the main roster was he just on 205 live or was he on a, yeah he on was that? on 205 live um a lot so was vince aware that he was on the main roster did you remember <laughs> for more than a day that 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 was approved of yeah i mean i i've heard that the, the, the speculation I've seen, which is just fan speculation, means nothing, but it would make some sense, is that Muto may be going into the WWE Hall of Fame this year. And that might be... They, a, they do like to do a Japanese candidate every year. Yeah. And Muto would make sense. Who Who, who is more famous in Amer- to American fans than Kiji Muto? Um, maybe they'll get some tape of him or something like that. What were you calling that. him? You, you have an alternate. I think he has a different name in, in, in Gullo World. What is his name? The great Muda. <laughs> no, no, no. You said you said something else. Before. Oh, I, 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 I mispronounced the name because I the said great, it was the great bad. Kanji Muto. <laughs> um, I here. So this is what I want to kind of bring this up. So if you guys remember when when Brody Lee uh, was left WWE and he was being interviewed and everything, he brought up the fact that one of the bargaining chips was Paul Levesque goes, "Well, we can let you go work in Japan if you want to go work in Japan." And if, I think we talked about this, Brandon. We didn't think that would ever be a possibility if Brody resigned and that, all that. that. That was something that he said, that Triple H said. Yep. Is this, could this be a reality? Could be when negotiations come up for guys? Could Paul Levesque, now that he's in charge, be like, yeah, you want to go work Japan? You want to go Mexico? Want, sure. I think that's something he might tell people. Yep. <laughs> I feel, I feel like Carl, Carl Anderson, well, we can talk to Carl Anderson all about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, remember Del Rio. It's like Carl Anderson's going to appear to defend that title. So. Did, 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 well, we also did Del Rio do a AAA match? Like he had, he had to drop a AAA title 
the mega. Yeah, anyways. that's been that's happened before. Um, but when it's the when they just resign, it's different. Like, but like when you're in yeah. the middle of a contract, or you know, I think have Triple like, H and um, WWE will continue to be very protective of their wrestling world, and I don't think that they. They may do certain things to accommodate people, and they may not be as hostile as, as and dismissive as Vince was, but I, I but I don't think they're gonna like open the forbidden door and do all these great interpromotional things. Temporary well, there was also discussion. Remember, potentially like working with New Japan specifically for Brian Danielson to like work in New Japan as a, as a bargaining chip to get him to resign with WWE. Yes. Supposedly, Nick Khan talked to, to New Japan, and and Tony Khan has discussed this. Saying you know, that that Rock, that is, I think this is part of the Ariel Hawani interview, right? That like Rock Romero had said that he had talked to them, but they're not doing anything. And yeah, I think they're they they are probably W is probably more interested in a bargaining chip for talent and maybe for excluding opportunities for for AEW than they are capitalizing on those opportunities themselves. Hmm. I mean, they did the, the Mickey James uh, Rumble thing was really interesting, uh, but we haven't seen anything after that with impact at all. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Any plugs? Yes. My podcast, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, which I've already basically plugged it today, but if people want to find it, it's on YouTube, Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Um, I was joined by Adam Berger, who uh, has done a lot of research into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. And we went over. Our personal five favorite intriguing candidates. Um, we talked about a lot about Roman Reigns on it. We talked about Edge. We talked about Bill Goldberg. We talked about the Von Erics. We talked about Ishii. So people are in, like the Hall of Fame discussions. They can find it over at the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast because we did very lengthy podcast about it uh, on Thursday. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, I will actually uh, got a few appearances this weekend. Uh, you can check out. Uh, I'll. Uh, Friday night in the Buffalo area, I'll be doing stand-up comedy at Roll Hall's Corner, uh, part of a big showcase. A lot of really good uh, Buffalo comics on that show. And then uh, Saturday, I'll be at Excite Wrestling, and uh, we got Davey Richards versus Kevin Bennett. Alec Price will be there and, and uh, a few others. So it's a pretty pretty stacked card. So you can see me this weekend either doing comedy or bringing out some wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is the Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You can get TV range reports nearly every day. The quarter hours when available, been reporting those uh, for WNAW shows, slides to this podcast, and a lot more. Um, and I will be, where's the slide? I will be in attendance for the post wrestling five year anniversary show, which is uh, on November 19th, the same day as Full Gear at QXT's nightclub just down the street from the Prudential Center. Free, free fist bumps if you want them. No, no pressure though, but, the, but they will be available as, as part of your admission if you want them. That's all for this week. Um, talk to you on Thursday. We'll do the Thursday 30 with Gullo and I, and that'll be just for subscribers. So you have to be a subscriber at patreon.com slash Talk to you then. Bye. <laughs>